Hi, this is Max Brooks, the writer of World War Z and the upcoming book Devolution, and you are listening to Without Your Head. Station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. I'm treacherous Trista. And we're joined by Ghoulish Guinevere Turner, actor, screenwriter, film director, and now Ghoul. It's very good to have you here. Hello, thank you. Yeah. And teacher, we found out as well. Yes, professor. Professor. That's a much. That's a much better title. I mean, actually, my academic friends would would roll their eyes at that because, uh, you know, to get a to be called professor, you have to have a PhD, and I do not have such a thing. I just have right. a PhD in life. All right. <laughs> we won't let anyone know. Yeah. And luckily, no one watches this, so they won't know. <laughs> but you know, I actually did say actor, you know, screenwriter, filmmaker. Which one of those? I won't say he's like your favorite, but which one is like more fulfilling? That's like the same question, really, Neil. Mm. It's kind of like um, rolling your eye at professor over over teacher. <laughs> no, I I am very happy that I do all of those things. I don't do I don't act nearly as much as I would like to. Uh, if I was only an actor, I would probably be a, also a waitress. Um, I I you know writing is so solitary, or you know I collaborate a lot, so you know, but it's very contained experience, and acting is so you know, just people. And, you know, when, once you're shooting, there's so much energy and urgency and excitement and, you know, minute to minute challenges. And I love all that. And then I get sick of people touching me. You know, people don't talk about this a lot, but when you're an actor, so many people have to touch you in an, in a non-affectionate man. And they might be people you just met, just sound people and wardrobe and then hair and makeup and then other actors. And then sometimes people, not if they know me for more than a couple hours, well, like instead of, telling me where they need me to stand will touch me. And, you know, I just, I have to make, I just set all those boundaries right away. Like, I don't like this part. I was one time just having a meltdown. I'm really easy to work with except for that part. And I was just like, oh, I'm, I was like getting wired for a mic with a corset. And so it was like five people all around me when I was like barely dressed on top. And uh, I just said, I, I just can't stand all of this non-affectionate consensual touching. And my friend who was the, another actor who was in the makeup chair, she goes, kind of like it <laughs> i think some people actually don't mind it it depends on how you're just who you are anyway so then after you know a few weeks or many weeks on a set i'm i'm also really happy to be alone and in a quiet contained space so it suits me well to go among them and directing i love and i hope to do a lot more of i'm you know i've directed shorts up to this point uh, and uh, working toward being someone who gets to direct features on TV, hmm. I have a plan. It's hard. 
But yeah, especially right now. I got my own TV show. Oh, nice. I, I have really great directors that I know. I sneak in my own episodes later in the season that I direct that I'm a TV director. Then, you know, I've proven <laughs> that I can do it. That's the hardest thing is just, just getting the opportunity to have someone, you know, let you prove that you can do it. Mm-hmm. Well, how did, you, um, how did you uh, get to the point where people uh, gave you the chance to write something, to write a screenplay? <laughs> I didn't. My first screenplay um, was for my first film, Go Fish. Uh, I didn't study screenwriting. I studied fiction writing in undergrad, and that's all the college I went to. And then uh, I just I wanted to make this film, and, and I loved movies, but I'd never read a screenplay, and I just uh, said to the director, like, yeah, I, I think, I mean, how hard can it be? Like, people walk into... <laughs> People walk into a room and they say things and then they walk out. <laughs> that is literally what I said. It's a little, there's a little more to it than that. And if you see my first film, Go Fish, it's a good thing that there's um, sex scenes because otherwise there's a lot of talking. Um, but then after that, you know, it looked like I could write screenplays. And so I started to get asked and started to learn by doing, which is to say that I've written many screenplays that were not very good and made all the, all the, rookie mistakes of someone who'd never been taught anything. Um, but then all of a sudden I, you know, once I met Mary Heron and we were working on the notorious Betty page and then subsequently American psycho, uh, you know, once American psycho was out, it, I was legit, whether I was actually legit or not. <laughs> so then I was like, you know, uh, studying and, uh, learning, learning so much from reading lots of scripts as an actor too, like starting to really be able to identify, you know, sort of repetitive, boring mistakes and or nonsensical mistakes. And so so very self-taught and somewhere along the way, someone believed me and here we are. Yeah. So what, what advice would you give to someone who was, who did want to write scripts? Would it be to, to read scripts? Yeah, I would say the biggest um, thing that, or one of the, the big things I found very useful is to get your hands on a script for a movie that then you can watch and learn by looking back and forth. Like that's what that looks like on the page. Oh, that's what that could look like on the screen and just understanding the sort of the language and, uh, you know, sort of reverse engineering it and to understand how, how the, the, the pros do it and how movies you love looked like looked on the page. And the, you know, cause one of the biggest things I teach students and, and I also, you know, I'm a script consultant is that you have to remember that you're not talking to yourself when you're writing a script, you're talking to so many people. It's not like writing a short story. You're trying to explain what you see. And, and especially for writer directors, I'm always like, I know, you know what you're talking about, but like, you can't just ramble on. Like you're telling me your dream and you just woke up. Like you got to make it really clear. Uh, so my advice to, to people is to, especially if you're teaching yourself is, is exactly that study, study movies you love and why they work and find their scripts. And it's very easy to find scripts online for most, for most movies, most big movies. Yeah. A friend of mine recently told me, uh, he, he thought the biggest mistake for, uh, people who started to write scripts was, uh, that they just think it's all dialogue and not to actually explain the scene. So it's actually kind of very similar to what you just said. Yes. Um, that's, that's one that I find lots of dialogue. I find, and this is just, I, and I'm just going to go off on a list of personal peeps that I see a lot in first time, or, or, you know, emerging and write and learning writers, people who have guns who would never normally have guns. <laughs> it's like somehow all of a sudden there's a gun. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like most people I know don't have guns or if they uh-huh. do, they're hiding very well. 
Um, and it's just like, you know, people without dangerous or violent lives are just like, now I have a gun. Um, one-sided phone conversations where you're only seeing the person go, mm-hmm, uh-huh. mm-hmm. Oh, Bob, I never said that. It's just really annoying. <laughs> right. um, um, people saying, look, I swear to God, in real life, people don't say this. Like, look, Neil. <laughs> don't start sentences, but people do all the time in film intelligence. Look. Um, calling any character ruggedly handsome. <laughs> I get it's that like, a lot. Uh, I mean, it's crazy how often people use it. I'm like, do you know what a cliche that is? Like, I'm like, there are, I'm like, just let's 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 see ruggedly handsome as like um, a thing that has a billion degrees. Now, give me two other fucking words. <laughs> right. Um, and and this one is really weird and abstract, and it takes my students uh, and friends sometimes a minute to get it. But people in film and TV use the expression back there a lot. So be like, hey. You were really great back there. Or like, I, you know, I really appreciated what you said back there. This back there that I never hear people say in real life. And when I do, I'm like, oh, this is a unicorn. They said back there. But they watch too much film on TV because that's not how real people talk. So anyway, my sister always says, you should never say you were great back there unless it's in a sexual context. <laughs> <laughs> that works. So, yeah. About the phone thing, too. I always hate it when people just, uh, they'll just repeat what the other person's saying because you can't hear them, so they'll, they'll just repeat their sentence, which I right. is what you're saying, I guess. Right, or what I call the exposition fairy, where it's like, you know, brothers who are very close, and all of a sudden they're going, do you remember that time when we were young, and, you know, Timmy drowned, and it was really traumatic for us, and it really bonded us as brothers. It's like, no, 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 cheating, cheating, cheating. And on the, in that same vein, people... Uh, people who know each other well, either friends, lovers, you know, uh, family, calling, saying each other's names over and over. Uh-huh. Like if you notice in your real life, you don't, you either have a nickname for someone, a term of endearment, or you just don't, you can spend you an entire say, afternoon yeah. with somebody you're close with and never say their name. I always say, you, people only say my name if they're madly in love with me or really pissed off at me. I feel like that's the only time unless you're just meeting people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's, that's a little basket of my don't do it, don't do it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jason, who does our written reviews on the website, he's not a fan of that either. The when people, He'll even has uh, like put down like the number of times they say someone's name. Like I think one movie had like 200 times they said uh, the lead it's really, name. It's really, once you really pay attention to it in real life, you realize – that that you how rarely you say that the the nearest and the names of the nearest and dearest to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just thought of another one that I love because it, it's so annoying. <laughs> oh, it's it's a same scene direction thing when people will be like, Bob steps in the elevator and the wallpaper reminds him of his dead grandmother. I'm like, um, I know a lot of really talented actors in the world, but I don't know if I can give you dead grandma's wallpaper with my face. Like, that's cheap. You can't tell us what the, the actor's face is telling us. Not in that level of detail. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, clearly, I just spend most of my classes ranting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you uh, started to work with Mary, like, did you know her before? Like, how did you meet her? We met... Um, we were both, she was just meeting with producer Christine Vachon, who produced her first film, I Shot a New Warhol, and who had just produced my first film, um, Go Fish. And uh, we just happened to be at the Groucho Club in London. <laughs> um, I was promoting and she was meeting with Christine and we met and she said, uh, she was like, you look a lot like Betty Page. Um, and I didn't know who Betty Page was. 
uh, and we started talking about Buddy Page, and we just got along almost instantly and uh, decided to try to write something about Betty, and that's where it began. It's so rare. I, I didn't know this now because I was, I don't know, 27 or something, um, and, and really just starting out and not knowing anything. Uh, but I didn't realize how rare and valuable it is when you meet someone that you can just click with creatively. Mm-hmm. You know, like we were also good friends, but we just like immediately kind of had the same sense of humor, had the same work ethic, had the same kind of, um, I don't know, like the biggest uh, thing that I've, it's a sensibility thing, you know, that you can really like someone, you can respect their work, but when you sit down to try to collaborate with them, it's just the, the, the parts don't fit. And now it's, what is it, 25 years later and we're still... We just had our movie come out last year that we did together, and then we've got another one. I'm really hot. This is an ice pack. I'm not injured. Okay. I'm just really hot. All right. And I have right. to keep the well, windows closed. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, uh, and, it, and we have another script that we wrote that we're uh, raising money to do, which is also in the – I mean, I wouldn't call Charlie Says, our most recent film horror, although it's it's no day at the beach. Um but our next film that's called The Highway That Eats People is definitely a scary movie. I love the name, The Highway That Eats People. Thank you. I mean, yeah. it's from, it's from a, uh, it's a line from a, this weird little novella that we found uh, that, that's called, the book is called or, The Orange Eats Creeps, which is, the book is a one stream of consciousness madness that we fashioned into a story. Uh, but The Highway That Eats People, it's about um, homeless kids outcasts of the foster care system who just feral creatures wandering in the streets and causing trouble. What's that process like to take a, a, a novel or a novella, a story that's already written and then translate it to a, a script? Cause I, I saw you a few times say that you don't like when people just say, Oh, that's easy just to take, you know, a, a story. And then you just, now you make a movie out of it. Yeah, well, p- yeah. People will be like, "Oh, it was a book first. And I'm like, "Yeah, that's in some ways that's harder. You know, you don't get to start from scratch. You're dealing with the you're dealing with the original material, trying to turn. You know, in the case of American Psycho, and also in this one that we just did, something that's really defying traditional narrative and make it into that. It's a huge. You know, it's 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 more than a, even a translation job. It's like a a reimagining. Um, we just. I don't know, we just, we, Mary and I, um, even though now we live in different cities, we, we sit in the same room for long hours, just blah, 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 and like, and reading pieces of the book. Like, what is this? How could, you know, we want this in the movie somehow. We like this image. Like, just, let's just make a pile of images over here or a pile of scenes or a piece of dialogue. In the case of American Psycho, there's so much funny dialogue. And that was a huge challenge for us because uh, uh, because a lot of the chapters in the book are, just him talking about, uh, you know, a particular album, but there's no plot. It's just, it's like a, you know, a, a really nerdy music review uh, and, you know, trying to figure out how to make that cinematic and make it come out of the character's mouth rather than just be in his head was a big challenge. Um, and sometimes you just have to make stuff up. You just have to, you know, create connective tissue where there isn't any and hope that it still feels true to the story. I mean, you know, the Betty Page is a biopic, but again, it, it felt like an adaptation because, you know, people's lives are just as freeform as some books can be in terms of defying narrative structure and knowing which part to tell. And, you know, we went, we, st- we started working on Betty Page and the movie came out nine years later. Oh, wow. I mean, we stopped to do American Psycho, but, but we just kept, you know, 
writing different drafts and accomplished this much of her life and this much of her life and this, and then incorporating these traumatic things and then deciding not to. And it was very, it was, in some ways it was a bigger challenge because it's, it's not as finite. At least a book is like, this is it. If we know every single thing in this, <laughs> this little thing, then we can, we can, you know, mold it into our own, uh, our, our own shape. So uh, yeah, amorphous. And it's, I mean, American Psycho just gave us nightmares because we just, you know, I don't know if you've read the book, but I haven't actually, it's very um, like relentlessly uh, detailed in its violence and sexual violence. And then just like gruesome dismembering, like, just like, Oh my God, what is your problem? How did you even think of this violence? Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough read and also, but also weirdly hilarious, which just makes you feel like a creep for reading it. Cause you're also laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just what I we love about feeling it. A lot, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a creep. Right, <laughs> Cause, right. I'm Cause I'm laughing at things I probably shouldn't be. But I'm really not, I, I'm not even really not, I'm very much not a scary movie person. Uh-huh. I, I'm just, uh, I just get scared. Um, so there's a lot of scariest movies that I haven't seen. It probably would have taken me a long time to see American Psycho if I hadn't written it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So uh, from what I understand, you hadn't read the book, uh, you know, when, when the idea came up to do the, uh, the screenplay. Yeah. Just like when she said, I look like Betty Page. Let's make a movie about Betty Page. I'm like, who's Betty Page? And she's like, do you know the book American Psycho? And I was like, huh? What? I don't know what I do without Mary. I'm so glad that finally in our third film together, that was me bringing it to her. Not that she didn't know who Charles Manson was, but you know, I read. <laughs> Who's this guy? What? Um, so yeah, Mary. Yeah, she said. Uh, probably, if you've heard me say that, or that I hadn't read it, you've also heard me say this, which is that she was like, "I know you're, gonna, I know you're going to hate me <laughs> for making you read this book, but I feel like we can make a good movie because um, she just knows I just I'm you know scared of scary things and they give me nightmares." Um, and then, and yet here I am writing scary movies about serial killers and cult leaders. And I don't know, maybe, maybe the fact that I'm scared of them makes me, maybe, yeah. I, maybe I can tap into what scares people more than some people who are more like deep into, I, it's just funny because people meet me, especially people in the horror world. And they just assume that I'm one of those cool girls who's just like, Oh yeah, I've seen all the grizzly gruesome uh, saw five. And I'm like, no, please don't make me watch it. There's a couple of movies that I really want to watch, but I'm scared. Um, Jordan Peele's us. Oh, I, I'm a fan. It looks yeah. so scary. The trailer looks so scary, but I was just dying to see it. I love him and I'd love to get out, but I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't help that I live alone. You know, uh-huh. like I, people are like, well, God, just, you know, whatever. I'm like, you have a partner. Like you have someone who's going to be like, if you go, what was that? That they're going to be like, shut up. It's fine. Like I just live alone. <laughs> I think it makes a big difference. I think, you know, it's easier if you don't have to just finally turn the light out and have like all those images and whispery things in your ears. And I'm just a sensitive creature, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I do have to see us though. I mean, have you guys seen it? Yeah. I was, I was a big fan. I saw it in the theater and uh, I, I do think uh, scary movies are fun to watch in the theater. Because you get the interaction with the crowd, which you can at the moment, but uh, if we go back. I'm, a friend tricked me into seeing, uh, what's that brilliant Scandinavian film about the little the little baby vampires? Oh, uh, let, the, let the right one let in? Let the right one in. Yeah, so yeah, I think it's Norwegian. Um, they tricked me because they knew that I wouldn't go to the theater to see it if I knew it was a scary movie, but I'm... I'm pretty easy to trick because I, if you want me to see a movie, I don't want to hear anything about it. I just want to go in as 
cold as possible because I just I wish everyone would see my movies that way with zero expectations, just to sort of. Trust. I would say that on the show, I think it's the best way to see a movie. It's not always possible, but that's why I like the festival. It's really possible. You, you don't really it. know much about the movies when you go to. Them. I tr- I try not to watch trailers if I want to see a movie, but anyway. So so my friends said, "Come see this cool movie. Let the right one in." And uh, and uh, they were, I was like, "Is that scary, you guys?" They were like, "No, no, no. It's like a sweet story about kids. Like it's a you know they're vampires. So like uh-huh. it's not scary. Like the opening scene of that movie is like." you know, icy, you know, uh, Scandinavian woods with, like, a body being dragged through. I was like, fuck you guys. <laughs> this is so scary. But by the end, I was like, this is the most beautiful movie I've ever seen. I'm like, <laughs> I have yeah, to be tougher because I'm missing out on great stuff. I love that movie. Yeah. I didn't see the American one, but that one was just... The American <sighs> one is good, but it's really almost shot for shot, the same movie, so... Oh, really? Yeah. There's even, there's, like, shots that are just taken right from it. And the book's excellent, too, if you ever uh, read the book. Oh, I didn't realize it was based on a book. Just yeah, they go more into uh, some of the details about the uh, the vampire. If she's, I don't want to spoil it, but it's more about if she's, what gender she is. Do you want ah, me to spoil it? I'll spoil it. But, no, no, don't spoil it. Uh, don't spoil But yeah, it's, it's much more horrific and what? much more sad, the book. Oh, wow. So uh, mm. I would check it out. I'd recommend it. Uh, so we're, we're talking about American Psycho. So when you did read it, uh, did you initially like, yeah, I, I think this will make a good movie or what, what did you think about it? I did because I thought it was such sort of scathing satire um, and had so much funny stuff in it. And I immediately saw what Mary saw that a lot of people didn't see it right off the bat, uh, especially women, um, that it was making fun of men, that not that it was glorifying violence, toward women although arguably the book is really pushing it uh and you know some would say the movie's pushing it i guess but to me uh to me i saw and we immediately agreed if we can you know put the violence at about one sixteenth of what it is in the book and get more into kind of the off-screen horror and uh the comedy and the satire that that we could make a movie but, I, but we were both like we're gonna get shit for this and we're like well, well you know we we don't there's no doubt in our minds that we're coming at it from a feminist perspective and a socially responsible perspective. So bring it. And, and it was tough because, you know, I premiered at Sundance in 2000. Uh, you could feel the audience not loving it. And it was like a packed house. Uh, we got terrible reviews. Uh, it took about, it had some fans, but it took about five years before people started going, you know what? And then it took about 10 years before people were like, hey, actually, that movie's, you know. And then, like, in the last 10 years, it's it's like the, every year the movie gets more popular, which is kind of amazing. Like, you know, movies tend to have their moment and then move on. And it's, you know, if you're, if you're 20 years later, you're still talking about a movie you made. That's, like, uh, just something to be really thankful for. Um, yeah. And it was funny because when we, our, our film Charlie Says premiered in um, Ven- the Venice Film Festival uh, in 2018 and did not get great reviews after the first screening. And we were sort of sulking in the lobby of the hotel. And Mary's husband, John Walsh, he's like Googling, Googling on his phone. And then he's like, hey, you guys, let me read you some, some uh, uh, excerpts from some reviews you got of American Psycho 20 years ago. 18 years ago at that time and he's and some of the wording was exactly the same and we were like 
it's so hard to be misunderstood. We're just always ahead of our time. <laughs> uh, we, we're, we've gotten tougher, but, but I'm also like, we're not getting any younger. Like we, I don't want to wait another 20 years for people to understand what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> All right. It's interesting. Cause I watched it again last night, uh, American psycho and uh, Tristan and I were talking. It's uh, really relevant to today. And like uh, toxic masculinity wasn't even, I don't think it was even a term back then, but I think watching yeah, it now, like you really, that really comes through in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the only thing that makes me cringe is really that, I mean, it's good and it's bad, but it still hurts a little, is just that Donald Trump is still funny. Do you know what I mean? That we, there's like, like, I think one point he goes, is that Ivanka Trump? And then, you know, he mentions Donald Trump at some other point. And just, you know, I mean, it's kind of amazing that he's in there because like, he is a kind of like, hideous, more old Patrick Bateman. I mean, he sort of wishes he was Patrick Bateman, you know, our president. Um, so it feels relevant in that way. I also feel like we were worried at the time when we were making it that, that um, really kind of digging into the excess of the 80s. Like there wasn't enough uh, room. People, could, people weren't ready to see it. So I also feel like a generation of people grew up who didn't experience the 80s as even teenagers. And they were just like, aha, the 80s. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the French who love anything that, makes fun of America. The, the, the movie was so popular in France when it first came out in a way that it wasn't anywhere else. And they were like, yeah. they just love it. when it, They were like, yeah, you are assholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mentioned the eighties to Trista too, is because uh, like right now there's just everything is eighties nostalgia, you know, all the t- there's so many TV shows, I think too much, but, uh, but I, I didn't, I don't think at the time, like there was so much, you know, uh, things taking place in the eighties and uh, about the eighties. Yeah, in in the year two thousand. Yeah, when you American made uh, American Psycho. Yeah, no, not at all. It wasn't it wasn't far enough in the past. Uh, I don't think. Oh, you know, a, a generation of people like you know the guys who made Stranger Things are my age, so like they were you know young teenagers when E. T. came out, and it, Stranger Things to me, like I started watching and I was like, oh my, I just it it poked at every. I'm like, These guys got to be my age. Right. It just poked at every single you know, Gremlins and all, and all these movies that I loved as a young teenager. Um, but, but weirdly somehow translated to a, a generation younger than us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's killing me right now is nineties nostalgia is hearing like an oldies radio station and they're playing Kurt Cobain. I'm like, oh. uh-huh, yeah, the stuff I went to high school with. Yeah, yeah. Are you calling me an oldie? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, it'll yeah. be fun. It'll be, it'll <laughs> I went to Nick at Night recently just to see if it was still a thing. And, like, all the shows on it were shows, like, I was, like, it was, like, I don't know, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or whatever. And I was, like, oh, these aren't – I don't consider them old shows. And, like, there was even, like, shows that I, I think I'd, I'd never even seen that came out, like, after I stopped watching sitcoms. And it did make me feel very old. <laughs> it's fun, though. I feel wise. There you go. That's a better way to look And also, it. I feel like my students um, – so I've taught at NYU, Columbia, UCLA, um, Sarah Lawrence. And I feel like my students um, see me as this sort of like endless wealth of film knowledge. And in fact, I'm just like, I, I just been around for a long time. It's not that I'm like, you know, went to film school and studied films. I just love films. And now I've been around watching them for 40 years longer than you have. <laughs> so that's nice about being old. <laughs> Uh, Tris, I don't want to take up all the time. Do you have a question? Sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. I, I was wondering, you kind of glossed over um, Go Fish a little, and I, that was your first film, right? 
and it, it's so experimental and very independent and, and I think that's very inspirational for um, upcoming independent filmmakers so I was wondering if you could talk more about that film. Um, so we started writing that film the director who was my girlfriend at the time uh, had just graduated from film school um, I was just a temp with a liberal arts degree and a whole lot of nothing. Um, I mean, I was not really, I learned a lot, but didn't know anything about filmmaking or screenwriting. And um, we just decided, I, I, I started, we started doing that because I just, we were just thinking, you know, there's, or knowing that there are no lesbian films that really, we felt like represented us, you know, just in terms of like daily life, community, friends, you know, bullshit jobs, parent drama, relationship drama, you know, just like regular life, like the way we were experiencing it. And so we started out, uh, I mean, we just did the like, I'll keep, somehow I tricked her into this. I'm like, you max out all your credit cards. I'll be the one who doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I kept my day job, which was the better paying of our jobs. And she started doing pre-production stuff and we were writing and we had tons of, she had tons of friends who were either in film school or had relationships with all the film schools in the Chicago area. So we got all of our equipment from all the different schools for people who still had borrowing privileges, which after an 18 hour day shooting, making sure like this C stand goes to U of I and this C stand goes to Columbia college in, in Chicago was just, it was, that was hard. And that was also my job because I was, you know, producing and acting in addition to writing and, you know, putting lipstick on people and whatever. Um, and then, so what we, we got it so that we had like a, a half hour, we shot it on film on 16 millimeter black and white film, um, which is, I, 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 it blows my mind sometimes. So we're making this film in 92 and 93, it came out in 94. We didn't have email or cell phones. I was like, Rose is the name, Rose Troche is the name of the director. I said to her recently, like, how did we do that? She was like, I didn't, she's like, you did it. She's like, you were just always on the phone. And we didn't even have a cordless phone. She's like, you were just always on the phone. You were at work on the phone. And she's like, and you had, you know, all your, you, I forgot I had used, I had an office job. I used all that stuff for secretly printing out scripts and, you know, energies of people in their early 20s. Um, and then, so we brought it to Christine Vachon with uh, just our little half hour kind of assembled film, which initially was a lot more experimental than it eventually grew into being. There's a traditional narrative that everything else is hanging on. Um, and they, and she found us John Pearson, who gave us the money to finish the film. And John Pearson had given Spike Lee his first money, had given um, Michael Moore his first money, had given Richard Linkletter his first money. In fact, wrote a book soon after called Spikes, Mikes, Slackers, and Dykes, which is about uh, these four f- films that, that, you know, back when he was really a champion of, of finding money for independent films that needed finishing funds. And then we got into Sundance. And then we were like, what? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, then we stopped fighting. Because we broke up in the middle. We were girlfriends while we, were, when we started and we broke up in the middle of making the movie. And, one of the main sets was our apartment, which she moved out of. And Whoa. it was drama. And I would choose the director and I was the main actor. And it was, it was hard. Um, but once we got, had success, it really, I think made us just be like, okay, we're fine. Let's get over it. Like we, I can't believe we made a movie and we're going to Sundance and we're traveling the whole world. And it was amazing. 
but but altogether that film probably cost like stem to stern about eighty thousand dollars and I will always say to new and young and and or young filmmakers, thirty five of that was spent fixing sound. Oh wow. So get it right the first time if you can. Yeah. Wow. We had there's a scene like we were just shooting in our apartments and we have this dolly that's just going over this creaking wood floor. And I'm talking on the phone and it's just like <laughs> Um and yeah, we we put fireworks over it. So oh, that's that scene, very clever. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't you know, obviously it was a sound a sound designer who's like, uh, all right, let me fix what what you first timers or <laughs> these mistakes you're making, which was actually a fascinating experience, but it's expensive just to sit there and and you know brainstorm with how to fix all these things that there's no alternative for. So get sound right, even in the digital age, that that remains the same. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I found the wedding dress scene and, and that VO to be very uh, powerful. And that was the first thing we shot. Oh, wow. How funny. Yeah, that, before that we really found how to story, I had a, I had found that wedding dress in a thrift store that it, it just fit me perfectly. And it was like 10 bucks. And so I just bought it. And then, and then I just started, I, and then I was like, Rose, let's make a short film. Like, let me write this little voiceover. And then we did it. And it was so fun that we were like, let's make a whole movie or let's keep making a movie and let's, you know, create, create wow. something non-experimental. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember that first night after we were shooting that and like, oh, you know, it was all our friends and nobody was doing stuff in 1992, like independent film, at least in our world in Chicago, hadn't become this thing where every, everywhere you turn, someone's making a movie. And so it was just really exciting. Like everybody was, you know, it was just very, it made everyone it just felt different than hanging out in bars and going to concerts and, you know, just going to parties. All of a sudden we were like doing something and we got to watch the dailies and yeah, it was, we were like, I was like, this is fun. I like production. Yeah. Do you saw that same feeling today? Yeah, I do. I love production. I'm really, uh, I was like, I had so much fun on the set of Charlie says my last uh, film with Mary I mean, I wasn't acting, which is, uh, sometimes when you're acting, it can be, uh, acting, I could just, I just get, um, I just, I just get peopled out. Too many people, because you have to concentrate in this way, but you also have to deal with people. You know what I mean? Like, so imagine you're trying to be someone else entirely, but in between you and being that is two hours of people touching your face and telling you what to wear and asking you if you want breakfast and moving you from place to place. And you're like, I'm a giraffe. I'm a giraffe. I have to just pretend that that to me is, I I find that exhausting. Whereas on the set of Charlie says I wasn't an actor, although Lord knows I tried. I begged Mary to let me be the warden of the (laughs) women's prison. And she was just like, no. I was like, come on, Mary, is it a kind of a thing? Like, you know, I was in American Psycho and, you know, I was supposed to play Betty Page, but then I couldn't for various reasons. And she was like, nah. She's like, no one's going to believe you as the warden of a women's prison in, in 1972. And I was like, I'll get a bowl haircut. I'll wear a sensible girl. I'll do it. I'm an actor. You just know me as me. I'm like actually an actor. She was just like, um, not happening. And um, and then I would tell her husband, if he, that, would he please whisper it in her ear when she was sleeping? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work. It didn't I also work, realize now that we're now that we're a known team. I feel like also she probably was like, 
that'll just it's, it feels gimmicky when you're right, especially when right. you're doing a period piece like you just want to stay in it so and we got the amazing Annabeth Gitch so it all worked out but 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 on that set I was just um you know Mary just uh gave me the kind of access that you know writers don't usually get I was just sitting next to her the whole time I was you know talking to actors I was she was turning to me and asking me did you, do you think we got it? Do you have any notes or do you think we should move on? Like really, really treating me in this like, deeply collaborative way that is so rare. Um, and it was so fun. And I was actually, I was going home at night and rewriting things uh, with her permission. The script supervisor was like, what? Because <laughs> you know what, in, in production, when you, you know, when you, it's, you start at a color blue and then when it's, the pages change, it goes to different colors. And then like salmon is like 10 colors in. And then once you get to salmon, you go to double blue. And I, she would, the script supervisor, she's like, are we at double salmon? <laughs> <laughs> like, I felt so accomplished, but it's such a luxury to be able to sort of actually see words coming out of the actor's mouth and see the space and see, you know, and be, and just be able to say to the director, don't you think if we blah, 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 she's like, yeah, 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 do that. Send it to me tonight. Let's blah, blah, blah. So uh, that was, uh, that that kind of production I love, which is to say, clearly, I will love it when I get to be a director. Um, and I have, I've directed shorts, but, um, but that, that level of sort of intensity and chaos and problem solving and sort of now or neverness, live for it. Uh, when you did the shorts, did they, did they go to festivals? You know, what happened to them? Yeah, the first two I did went to Sundance. The other ones I did, did all the LGBT festivals. Um, one is, one is just, some of them are, have distribution on, you know, IFC or other shorts platforms. Uh, yeah, I, I did. But then I was actually, you know, I'm friends with a couple of the programmers at Sundance, or I was a few years ago, and he was like, he's, I was like, what, you're not going to take my, my third short? And he was like, this is how it works. We can't just keep showing filmmakers shorts. We want to see them progress. So we, you know, we're dying to show a feature that you direct, but, you know, we want you to, we, you know, we've given you a platform, like, go. I was like, oh, good wisdom, good wisdom. You know, they're not just going to let you keep making your little shorts forever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's nice, though. Yeah. I mean, it's actually being, a, you know, trying to be helpful to you as well. Yeah, like kicking you out of the nest. Like, don't right. get too comfortable here. Keep, keep challenging yourself. Keep trying. Yeah. That's interesting, because I know a lot of filmmakers who, I know only make shorts and I do always think like, uh, I mean, that's cool stuff, but uh, you know, you can't really sell them. And, you know, I would think you'd eventually want to make a feature like you just said yourself. Yeah. And, and the thing is that I've learned too, is that when I've been doing a short, you know, that I wrote, wrote and directed these ones that I've done, I'm like all the work that it took to organize this, all the momentum, all the, everything that needs to come together I could just as easily go on for two more weeks. The pre-production is the hard part and obviously the money, mm-hmm. but the actual, the actual mechanics of getting it all together is the same. And I have those skills. Yeah. Can you see those shorts now? How, can you, can they be seen now? Yeah. Um, yes. My most recent one is from three years ago. It's called post-apocalyptic potluck. Um, which is weirdly timely. <laughs> yes. um, and uh, it's, on a, it's on a platform called Tello, T-E-L-L-O, Tello.com. Um, and the other ones, 
The other ones, I am not sure. I should really have that together so that I can say, ta-da, I'm a director. <laughs> but I'm, very, I'm not a very organized person when it comes to, oh, I like, once it's over, I, I have a hard time keeping track of everything. I have taxes, bills, cards. <laughs> I'm really bad at all that stuff. So, yeah. so some of the people are like, you didn't save that magazine that you were in? I'm like, maybe I did. I don't know. <laughs> uh-huh. With the rise of all the platforms, though, there's, you know, uh, they need content everywhere. So it's a good time to either make a short or a feature or a series. From what I understand, a lot of people say series is really uh, the way yeah, to Yeah, I'm around. also pitching a, um, a, or I was pitching a television series, uh, really trying to get that get that going because I feel like, that, as you say, there's so many platforms. And especially now, I feel like there's going to be this big dip in content. And so people are going to be more likely to say yes. So I'm actually thinking about how to create a pitch on zoom and trying to think about how to use the platform in a way that you wouldn't have the uh, luxury of doing in in an in-person pitch. And my idea is actually to gather, you know, I know a million actors, obviously I live in LA, um, gather some actors and have them do a reading of a scene and have that be part of the pitch which, it, you know, you could never do in a, in a pitch room, but it might actually, you know, this exec is just sitting at home looking at all your stuff and then maybe they will watch it and then maybe the brilliant actors and the snappy dialogue will be like, they'll be like, I'd watch this. Because <laughs> right. pitching is so hard and uh, I don't think I'm very good at it. Otherwise, I would have a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but I will. I will have a TV show. All right. So another thing I want to mention too about being um, of American Psycho being like uh, very relevant right now was one particular scene when uh, when Bateman's having sex uh, with the two prostitutes and he's filming it all and he's looking at the at the video and stuff it really reminded me of social media where like uh, like if you're at a not right now but if you're at a concert or at a, any event like people want to they're more like uh, worried about taking a picture of it or a video of it to show everybody as opposed to just, you know, being there and doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. This, the narcissist, the actual technology plus narcissism. Yeah. Um, which is now just the fabric of our society. I mean, I've had friends say like, Oh fuck, we didn't take any pictures. Cause right. we just went and had lunch. And I'm yeah. like, I mean, I'm guilty of that myself. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, we know we have lunch. Um, <laughs> but then I've also caught myself thinking that like, Oh my God, yeah. that's amazing. Tech. And like, no, we, there's no evidence. It's like, when did we when, when did we switch to needing evidence <laughs> or proof or bragging material or whatever like look I have a life like we all know that like half of the stuff we post makes other people feel bad about their lives you know like they look like they're having fun and people have said to me you know you know direct messages or whatever on social media things like wow you look like your life is going so bad I'm like no I'm fucking miserable I just I'm not, not going to post a picture of me crying that was yesterday right. yeah I think Tristan's <laughs> actually even said that in interviews uh, that uh, that social media is like a fake version of your life yeah or, you know not necessarily like a real version of, of what and yet and, and yet um, I, I was not very engaged with social media until about 2012 but I got a new manager and I was sort of saying like, I don't really, I don't feel like tweeting my opinions. I don't feel like posting my lunch date. And he was like, you have to, he's like, you know, people, people who are looking to hire you, people who are just trying to figure out who you are, people who are about to meet with you, that's what they look at. And they, and if you, if you have limited engagement, you seem out of touch. And I'm like, and now I spend hours looking at Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I'm so in touch. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I actually met Trish the uh, in, in December on a movie set, and I did think about afterwards like we didn't get a picture together, so there's no proof that even though we had um, a movie yeah, that will come out. It is really but... lovely when you have a photo of the first time you met someone that then became important in your yeah, life. Yeah, those, those ones, but you don't know. That's true. What true. movie? What set were you on? What was the uh, movie? Uh, we can't say the name of the movie. I don't think, but uh, it's a secret movie. That secret weird, movie. But, but yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you. We can tell you off air. Email you about it. Um, but, that's cool. Um, what yeah, were Chris you both doing? A lot of movies. Set? I know she doesn't want to talk about herself on the interview, but yeah. What were you, What were you both doing on the set of that of this? Uh, Chris is the lead. Uh, I have a small part, and uh, so this is the first movie set I was on. And uh, the director also—I've said this before—but the director also asked me. Uh, well, first he also asked me to do the cook, which I was going to do, but that didn't happen. But uh, also asked if I would do the BTS footage, and I was like, "Yeah, certainly." And so immediately after, I googled what BTS footage meant because I, I had no idea what 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 that stood for. <laughs> and I was I was like, oh, glad it's just behind the scenes. It's not something. Right. Like, wait, you thought it was some, like, tech term. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, I was just like, yeah, of course I'll do that. Whatever. Oh, yeah, BTS. <laughs> oh, yeah, my grandmother used to BTS. It's in, it's in my family. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then afterwards, Trista told me that's the LA way. Just lie and say you uh, you can do it. Just nod and smile and figure it out. Thank God for Google. <laughs> right. So you said though you like uh, American Psycho, you know, after years, like it, it gains momentum. So, uh, what's that like for you though? You know, this is something you made and spent years on, and at the time, like you said, at Sundance, uh, like a lot of people didn't like it, and then now, like it's 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 an iconic movie, especially amongst horror fans. Um, it's friggin' great. It's it's really. Um, I mean, you know, it was the twenty twentieth. Uh, anniversary i don't know why those words just couldn't get in the right order 20-year <laughs> anniversary of the film this year and so mary and i did you know a huge um blob of many many interviews and we were we were you know just privately kind of complaining about how oh, we're sick of talking about it and then we were like yeah but you know what we're t- still talking people still care um and so many movies has, have come out the last 20 years so um it's good, but I, it's it's hard not to um, get sick of, you know, I, I don't often find anything new to say about it. Um, so I was really pleased. Um, one journalist, I think Movie Maker Magazine, spoke to a lot of the actors and me and Mary. Um, and, uh, and so there were all these different details that I didn't know. My favorite being that Josh, Josh Lucas, who's one of the actors who plays, you know, Patrick Bateman's friends, said that they were that they were all sitting around in between takes being like talking about how much Christian sucked and like they couldn't believe that Mary <laughs> fought so hard for him uh-huh. because they were like what is he right. even he's done it pretty is, he's done okay for himself since then. Yeah, I feel like and, and well Josh was laughing in the interview because he was like we just, you know, up close <laughs> and without context it was such a weird performance that we just were like what what does Mary see in this guy which I thought was funny um and just hearing uh I don't know. I just hadn't really heard Willem Dafoe talk much about the the um, process and you know, his decision to do it. It was just that, that it was nice to get fresh fresh uh, blood. And I had forgotten. I recently saw that Christian talked about how he looked 
at Tom Cruise's way that he smiles, but has like nothing behind his eyes as a way to, to you know, a, a jumping off point for building the character, which I had forgotten that he said that and I just think is cool and funny. And once you know that and see him do that, you're like, oh yeah, there's, there's some, definitely some Cruise in there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I read because, you know, for the interview that it was uh, a lot of different people were up for the role, which I didn't know about at the time. But uh, it's, uh, do you know why why she did go with? Uh... With Christian? Yeah. Um, you know, what's funny is initially she offered the role to Billy Crudup. Do you know who he is? Yeah. Um, and Billy was on board and then he got in touch with her about a month later and said, I, I can't, I can't find this character, which I always thought was such a kind of like amazing actor thing to do. You know what I mean? Like most actors would be like, fuck it, I'm just going to like figure something out. But I think he was really like, I think he, Billy Crudup probably understood like, if you get this character wrong, it could be really bad. You know, like you really have to create a kind of monster. Um, and, and really commit to it in this very, in a way that Bale seems just so suited to. We now know him to be like the actor who commits mm-hmm. um, and gets lost in the character. Um, and then, so she had met Christian before and she, I don't know, she just, she just, she's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, she does not back down on casting. She feels really strongly about it. She spends so much time casting. She And she just felt that Christian was, she's like, he's a brilliant actor and he gets this part. And so many actors came in and didn't. Similarly with Betty Page, she said, you know, a lot of amazing um, actresses, well-known at the time, came in and she said, they just there's something about Betty. She's like sexy, but she's innocent. She's not worldly, but she's not stupid, but she's, she's a country girl. There's like all these layers. Um, and, and so a lot of, she said a lot of actresses didn't have the essence. And similarly with, with um, Bateman, there's, you know what I mean? And can you imagine, you know, cause Leo, then he got taken away from us and Leo DiCaprio was going to play um, uh, Bateman. And then, you know, Mary was like, well, I don't want to direct a post Titanic Leo DiCaprio movie. Like, no, I'm not going to be able to direct, you know, there's going to be a team of people telling me what I can and cannot do. Walked away from it. Oliver Stone was signed on to direct and eventually that fell apart. But can you imagine that movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio directed no, by Oliver Stone? Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, it's I almost like, even... I want that. I, the, that parallel universe is really interesting to me though. Just the idea of like, what that, what would that movie be? And like, what a, like what a, a fantastic exercise and uh, what a difference a director makes, you know? Mm-hmm. Those stories are always interesting to me because like, it's hard to think of other characters or other actors playing like, you know, uh, iconic roles, but it's part of that is because you, you know, that role. So it's hard to imagine someone else doing it, but it doesn't necessarily mean they'd be better or worse, but it's, it's, it's. Uh, right. It's I mean, just, Leo's a great actor, but, but the, the thing about Leo that I think was the most, Mary was the most averse to is that Christian was not a famous actor at the time. That, yeah, and cool. so yeah. this idea that, he could be mistaken for other people, <clears throat> excuse me, and they could all, you know, be interchangeable, would not have worked with the most famous movie star in the world at the time. She was just like, it's everything, like, it's Leo DiCaprio. How can you think he's anyone else? It was just like, he was too famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, and, and well, the thing is, 
still with Christian, I feel like he can, he can do it today and he'd still be, he's now so famous, but he could still just somehow, I mean, I started, I watched, you know, there's some minutes. actors like that who you just always see as that person. And then there's actors that, you know, they can. I mean, did uh, you see Dick, the Dick Cheney movie? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, for, I forgot it was him and like, I know him. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> <Right>. incredible. <clears throat> yeah. Pretty incredible. He's incredible. When I really recently, this is off topic, sort of off topic, but when I recently listened to the Rambo uh, audiobook, and uh, a big part of it was the intro was about, you know, how they tried to make Rambo for like 15 years or something. And there were so many different actors. Clint Eastwood was up for the role in the 70s and Steve McQueen. Mm. And it's hard to think of, you know, uh, Steve McQueen as Rambo or, or Clint Eastwood, but it would have been, you know, just a different movie, I guess. Wow. Yeah. It's real, those, are, they're, those are such different vibes. Mm-hmm. From the, the sly vibe. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know that they used to teach they used to read Rambo like in colleges in school. The book. Well the the original book, not Rambo uh First Blood, but and then uh, <laughs> I didn't but, even know it was a book. Yeah, the author is like he uh he said like it kind of ruined the book for a lot of people because then everyone just assumed it's like this gung ho, you know, guy going around killing everybody. But it's it's really before it's time, it's very much about PTSD. I'd recommend it. They were the first book. Huh. I don't even know if I've ever seen the film Rambo. I just like just all yeah. I need to show me one. You don't need to. It just you know, I'm just like I don't feel like that's a movie for me. Yeah. That's like a lot not, of guns. Like, yeah. A lot of greased up muscles and guns. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, Charlie says, uh mm-hmm. those are your, your last uh, the two thousand nineteen movie. Um uh, for people who don't know what what is Charlie says about. I know obviously you mentioned Charles Manson. Uh, Charlie Says is about the women who killed for Charles Manson, kind of uh, focused on their time in prison, which is something no one has ever uh, talked about, certainly not in film and TV. People just sort of like, you know, sex, orgy, murder, sensational trial. And then like, we see tons of Charlie in prison and like no one ever talked about them again. And that really struck me. Uh, So, and what people don't know is that um, they they were sentenced to the death penalty, but then the death penalty was lifted while they were waiting to be executed. And, but they wouldn't let them into general population for seven years. So for seven years, they were just stuck in this special unit that was made just for them uh, because they were considered the most dangerous criminals in the world. And it's the story of them in that unit. And it, I mean, it flashes back so that you sort of see how they got there. And it's the story of true story of the woman who came to teach them uh, who was like a, a early feminist academic who just made them, you know, gave them all these like proto-feminist 1972 books. And, you know, literally the warden of the prison said to her, this is true. Uh, I'd like you to give these women a feminist consciousness. That really happened. I did not make that up. When I found the book that was written by the woman who taught, her name was Carlene Faith, and read that, I was like, oh, finally, so much has been made on the subject of Manson and his followers and the Manson girls and blah, blah, blah. Just for those of you who are listening, I made air quotes in a very sarcastic way. Man, girls. Um, uh, and, and here's this story of, you know, seeing them as individuals, understanding them, and like what each of their journeys was to, to sort of unbrainwash themselves, or, you know, or be helped along the way. And to under, understanding feminism, which was just to them like very, like almost a dirty word. And like they didn't, they didn't see themselves as victims and, you know, so it's about that. It sound I just made it sound really heady and intellectual. It's it's not in any way funny, but it is um, 
you know, it's a real story. It's really trying to even sort of not humanize Charlie, but like take him down to who he really was. Like not this magical evil, like all knowing most evil mind in the world, but actually just a failed musician who was really good at conning people and really good at manipulating women and, you know, right place, right time, et cetera. So just trying to like take it all down a notch to, to, to show like real people and like really what happened and, and to try to sort of ask the audience to ask themselves, who would you be if you were this age at this time in American history? What, you know, would you jump into a van with a guy who, you know, with, who had a bunch of other women your age just looking like they're having the time of their lives? And the answer is, I, I know I would. You know what I mean? And I know that I would be counterculture at that time. And then how far, what, what could I have gotten sucked into? You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you talk so to any of the, uh, the, the, uh, the Manson girls when you were researching? Uh, no, because, uh, well, one of them died in the 90s, but the other two uh, who are still in prison... Uh, it's it's uh, not at all good for their parole to talk to anyone, you know, from Hollywood or trying to, um, you know, anything that could be perceived as continuing to sensationalize their crimes. So I, I figured that out pretty early on that that any contact with me would be um, bad for them. Yeah. Uh, so no, but I did spend a lot of time with Carlene, who taught them and who wrote a book <clears throat> called The Long Prison Journey of Leslie Van Houten. Uh, and she wrote that book about her time teaching them when they were in this isolated unit. But, and, but then she told me a lot of other stuff that wasn't in the book. And a lot of that is what informs the film as well, just the dynamics of, among them and, and with her and what it was like to see them, the painfulness of seeing them realize that they had killed for nothing and that they had been manipulated. Oh, that I, every time that movie ends, I cry and I've seen it a billion times and I wrote it and I was there when it was shot. And like, I've like, been, and I just, the, the ending of it is just makes me really sad. I'm, I'm proud of it, but, but I, I'm always surprised that it still gets me. Is that weird to watch your own movies as a film or does it make you cry because you think of the, the real people? Um, both. Uh, but it's just you know the way that Mary directed it and the and the actors the, the the final scenes with the actors are just they're just heartbreaking. I mean that's it's sort of like I'm not really crying. I'm like I'm such a genius. I'm like I'm so. No, no I didn't mean that. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm more crying. Like, Look at my words. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad that that it gets to you know that my that I I share this collaboration with someone who gets what I'm trying to do and, and makes it even better. Yeah. Now, where is Charlie? Can you see? Where can you see Charlie says? Um, yeah, Amazon for sure. Uh, perhaps iTunes. Um, easy to find. Maybe maybe YouTube. There's, if you if you Google it, there's it's on a bunch of digital platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you say anything about the the one you're writing now? The the road that eats people. I mean, it was called. That, the highway that eats people. The highway that eats people. Um, it's actually Much done. Um, it's done. Uh, we finished it maybe two years ago. Uh, well, like all of our projects, it's very stop and start. Like we stopped Betty to do American Psycho and then went back to Betty and then did Highway, but then stopped for Charlie. And, you know, that's the nature of the beast, really. Um, yeah, it's about four um, teenagers who are outcasts of the foster care system and they're, you know, cough syrup, slurping, 7-Eleven up, smasher uppers. They're, you know, they're just wild animals. Um, but they're like a little family and they sleep in the woods and they wander the highway. Um, 
and they're they're menacing or you think they are the the menace but in actual fact there's a a serial killer who's uh, sort of modeled after the green river killer um who was a pacific northwest this was this is an upstate new york our story but but a serial killer who specifically preys on homeless youth a lot of people talked about the you know that the green river killer was um you know preyed on prostitutes but he preyed on homeless young women who were prostitutes out of, you know what I mean? Like it's, they, they put a spin on it that didn't quite, you know, mm-hmm. um, really understand. So, so what, so you, you started this movie thinking that these, these, you're scared of these teenagers and that's what's scary about the movie, but then you realize that there's something that they are actually being hunted and, uh, it goes from there. Um, and, and somehow if you can believe it, some of it's funny. <laughs> We we laugh. You're asking the wrong we, person that wrong people that I mean. I, <laughs> yeah, there's this one character that I just I don't know for some reason I just found his voice and I, we just were I, I would we were just laughing. I don't know. He just he's just one of those. Sometimes they just come alive, you know. Yeah. They just been dying for you to make put them on the page and on the screen. Mm-hmm. So uh, when will that come out? You know, is it right now? I guess is not a good time to. I don't know. Do you have two million dollars, and can you get rid of a pandemic? <laughs> well, I just bought this bookcase, so <laughs> can't quite. Uh, uh, we're, can't we're, quite actively, do it. we're actively seeking funding, and we're also uh, like so many people um, thinking about how to, like, how what a COVID, what a pre-vaccine set would look, mm-hmm. could, and would look like, and what kind of scenes we have. I mean, it's luckily for us, you know, it's these four characters and they're outside a lot. So that's a plus. And then we have one, one scene where they go to this sort of off the grid community and live for a bit, but all, a lot of that is outside, which can help us. So we're, we're, we're COVID thinking. And then I have this other movie that I wrote with a different director. Uh, that's, that is a straight up like horror movie um, to star me, uh, which we accidentally, we just wanted to write something that was, you know, one location, minimal characters, just, you know, to see if we could make a genre movie for like 500,000. And, uh, but it's very COVID friendly because of that. Um, and so we are also just like this close to getting, finishing our financing. And we are like working hard on um, on-set COVID protocols and what they would look like and, and, you know, finding people we know and, you know, who, you know, don't have babies or live with old people and are would be willing to quarantine and, figure out how to shoot it in 12 days and yeah so that's actually really it's like a a puzzle and we're sort of dying to be one of the first people to go into production so we're just like somebody please just give us that last one hundred thousand dollars we're so ready uh and and i i it, it's the main character is me um i'm a romance novelist who who's very successful but can't write her last novel um so she, she goes off her medication and goes crazy and people keep like her editor and her friend and the woman who worked, who uh, her housekeeper keep saying like, do you want like, well, oh, let me just come over and like, you know, see how you're doing. And she just keeps saying, don't come over, but they do. And then she kills them. So like the movie is called don't come over. And the tagline is no, seriously, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all so about it's, it. It's, yeah. it has real emotional stakes, but it also has like hilarity as well. Like it's, it's funny, but it's also like genuinely like, she kills a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> three, three people, four people. Yeah. yeah. Um, Somebody doesn't so, like horror. Uh, you're, you're doing a lot of horror here. Yeah. But then this one is fun. Cause I get to be like, 
I get to just lose my mind in a movie. And it's, it's just a story about this person descending into madness. So it's like, it's not the kind of acting job I've ever gotten to do. I always play like the bitchy slut or the slutty bitch, you know? <laughs> so this is like a woman like losing her mind. And, and, and what happens to her is she just starts to go into her romance novels. So I also just get to be in like full romance, like just think, just picture like the end of Sunset Boulevard when she's like, I'm ready for my clothes. <laughs> like, this movie kind of ends like that where she just like walks into her own like crazy, <laughs> you know, the other person in the fantasy is, is about to get killed. Yeah. Uh, I want to watch this movie. I want to watch it. <laughs> Doesn't it sound fun? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like The Shining meets Misery meets, what are other crazy, I want to, I'm trying to think of a, I actually been meaning to Google, like, meets Repulsion you know, that the, um, Plancy baby with Dida losing her mind in her apartment. That's actually my, I, I want to study her, her going crazy in her apartment for it uh, when, when we get to right down to shooting because that's one of my best crazy, favorite crazy lady movies ever. Mm-hmm. Polanski notwithstanding. <laughs> uh, is it weird to write a character that you, you're going to play? It's fun. Because mm-hmm. I, I wrote it with the director. Her name is Jane Clark. <clears throat> and I'm like, Jane, so can there be a part where I'm just like standing in a grave covered in mud, just going like, just moving totally crazy. And she was like, sure. like, I'm just like, want seeing these set pieces that I really want that are sort of standard horror things. And, you know, I'm like, can I, can I like, when I get the chainsaw, like, look at me, look at my stature and who my character is. Would I know how to operate a chainsaw? Even though I'm about to cut up this dead body, like, can I read the instructions? <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> just like funny shit or just like iconic horror movie shit or just shit that will look amazing on a real, an acting reel for me. Just stuff that will make me laugh, basically. Uh-huh. I mean, like I did this movie once uh, as an actor in London in the 90s where I played Dominatrix. <clears throat> and it's like crazy fetish world, like, you know, costumes. And I have like, I'm, I'm a, re- a dominatrix. The character is a dominatrix in her real life, but she's also a big club performer. It's crazy. Uh, it is not a great movie, but like, if you know me, it is so funny to watch. <laughs> like, my sister is her favorite movie ever. It, just because <laughs> the the shit I'm wearing, the like hair pieces of the curtain and the like club scenes and whatever. It's just, so I just I love I love I I I am a child at heart. I can't wait to just play dress up and be splattered in blood and mud and like screaming and running around. And, you know, <laughs> I totally good times. Understand. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Uh, where can people follow you to see what you're up to? You know, not your home, but um, <laughs> follow me around West Hollywood. Um, I am. You know, it's funny. Is somebody took Guinevere Turner on Twitter? So oh, really? I'm at, I'm at Turner Guinevere, but I'm not really um, super active on Twitter. I'm uh, mostly on Instagram as Guinevere Turner. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Maybe Facebook sometimes, but mostly just from my family. I was working with these young people a few years ago and they were like, I was like, so what do you guys think about social media? They were like teenagers. And they were like, um, uh, what was the one? They were like, TikTok is for girls. Instagram, no, Instagram is for girls. TikTok is for boys. And Facebook is for old people. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one I'm most active on. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Um, yeah. So yeah, those are the places you can find me. And, uh, I do uh, highly encourage people to watch Charlie Says. It's a movie I'm very proud of. And laugh thinking of how I could probably couldn't, wouldn't have been that good as the warden. <laughs> if you see, do you know the actress Annabeth Gish? 
Yeah. She has this, like, she has this, she must have been a ballerina when she was a kid. She has this flawless posture that really, and she has it in real life, but she, she really brings it to the warden. And I was watching her and, uh, and thinking, you know what, I'm also just too floppy and wiggly. Like, it would be a lot of effort for me to have that sort of, like, stately thing that she does just naturally. Uh-huh. So, Mary, as usual, Mary's right about casting. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Trissa, do you have any, another comment or anything? I just want to say uh, thank you so much for your time. We were both so excited that you agreed to do this. We're huge fans of your work and your intellect. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm sorry I'm so hot. I must seem weird. It's just that I, it's the way my apartment is. You, if you, there's no air conditioning except in the bedroom. And this, by, by the way, is warm now. Oh, okay. oh, well, thank you. Sorry. Thank you for making this big sacrifice <laughs> that, yes, for us. That's, but that's the timer. Once the, once the cold pack is, is warm. The, yeah, when the cold pack is, is warm. <laughs> right. I have to go pick up my dog anyway. Um, so, well, thank you. Um, let me know when you are, when you are um, putting it up. Oh, no, it is live now. Yeah, and then, <laughs> I'll, then I'll put it up on YouTube, too. So uh, hopefully later today. Okay. Yeah, if nice that's okay. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Okay. I got, right. I got, I got, this is my COVID hair, but it's the best my COVID hair can do. I like it. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. No, it has to be a camera. Don't look yeah. at my roots though. <laughs> no, you look good. Yeah, <laughs> you look great. Would you do one more thing? Yes. Uh, another, another uh, guest that we had on was like a cast and crew and they did this thing where they take uh, screenshots of different faces and I thought it was great. So I thought we would steal it. So can we do some type of face? It could be scary, whatever it is. Just we're just gonna look in the camera and do this face, and I'm gonna take a. Screen. We all do it together, right? Well, are you gonna? Are we just do any face, or we're gonna? Try no, to we're gonna face? decide on one. You we can decide. You can, yeah, right. You can decide on, on 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 what kind of face. It could be any type of emotion or anything. And we'll all look in the camera. We'll do it, and I'll take a screenshot. Let me think. Um, wait. No, you decide. I don't. I don't have the pressure. <laughs> Trista, um, well, Trista here. No, did you have something? No, I didn't actually. I just had <laughs> I, the idea, I, I, but I. <laughs> I got overwhelmed with all the uh, all the possibilities. Right, right. Oh, really? I should have um, should have thought this through. I guess. Um. Okay. Uh, how about? Um. <laughs> they made it seem so easy. Surprise! Surprise! Right. Trying, surprise! So, but trying to hide it, like right. you look away, and then when you look back, you're surprised, but you're trying to hide it. I don't okay. not know what my face is going to do right now. Okay, right. me either. So three, two, one. I'm not hiding it very well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's that works. That's a fun game, though. That's a fun game. <laughs> I like it, yeah. That's why I wanted to steal it. But I told them I'll hashtag their movie, uh, hashtag uh, spread the dark offering. So if I'm stealing their idea, at least we'll plug their movie, too. I think that's only fair. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you again. Yeah. Bye. I'm looking Bye. forward to the highway eats the road. Or no, the highway eats. <laughs> well, looking forward to that too. That'll be the sequel. But, yeah. That's the sequel. Yeah. yeah. That's the meta. The meta sequel. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> All, right. All right. Goodbye. Bye. 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 From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old-world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. We should have listened.
the tomb of Nick Cage. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs>